The Mino Diaries, Episode 11, Red Bird, Part 7, The Tower of the Big Oni. When Cleopatra arrived in Nazdurel with Kiba, Son Goku, and Mamushi, they rode right into the city, through the mouth of the bony skull rising a skyscraper's height into the sky. They were perplexed by the quiet of the city. They rode their bikes through the streets, empty of all their usual ruckus and thoroughfare. Here, even the day was dark, as heavy and thunderous, noxious clouds hung over the entirety of the city. They were passing through the streets, checking the corners and the shadows for any suspicious activity, but they found no one, no monsters, no ghouls, no beast. They pressed the brakes of their bikes to line up in a row at the center of the street, and Elaine turned to Mamushi, whose hair was cut low to her scalp and dyed lime green, etched with the symbols of her language by clippers. She carried her own prayer beads, similar to Elaine's rosary around her hand, pressed against the bike's handlebars. Not even the dead city is ever this lifeless, she said, and Elaine looked to the others for some sense. The days of the dead were well in sway, and there was no time to waste riding aimlessly across the city, endless in its twists and turns. There was no time to waste riding, I'm sorry. They would risk getting ambushed or worse, lost in the maze of concrete and shadow. Kiba stepped off his bike and stood at the center of the street. He held up one of his hands, tipped with claw-like manicured nails, for silence, before he removed his brim hat from his head to reveal a pair of pointed ears, each moving independently as he listened, turning his head here and there before he paused and pointed. There's noise to the south, though honestly, I'm not sure if we should move toward it, he said. And Elaine asked, what does it sound like? Kiba relayed that he heard guns, metal clashing, war cries and wails of agony and terror, the sounds of a fierce battle. I can smell the blood even from here, he said. And Elaine adjusted on her bike and revved it by the twist of its handles. Let's go, she said, and the three other warriors glanced at each other warily, but
but they were bound to their oats to aid this woman who held the cords to set them free. They followed in the direction of the noise, passing beneath the arching bones of the fallen serpent's skeleton until they could hear the commotion ahead more clearly. The booms and shaking of explosions, the tinge of gasoline and fire smoke, the yells of rage and war. The streets were suddenly filling up with demons, all of them locked in chaotic conflict. They fought each other with the ferocity of the oldest enemies, and there were monstrous carcasses laid out through the streets, trailing the ongoing bloodbath. The entirety of the city's lower level was congregated in mass near the base of one of the snake skeleton's arching bones, where along its ridges above were towers and grand palaces of Nazdurel's demonic upper class. Elaine smelled whiskey as Mamushi took a long and hard swig from her flask. She was like Cleopatra of mortal origins. She was not armed with super senses or cosmic strength as the fox and monkey spirit. She had only the trusted steel of the sword securing its sire scabbard at her hip. Above them, winged bat demons, shadow dragons, and corpse birds were flying all around, picking off the many desperate souls who were trying to climb the arch to where the tower of the big Oni stood above. Cleopatra took a deep breath before she heard Kiba's voice mock. Don't tell me you thought we would be the only ones seeking the swords, he laughed. The whole damn city, from the highest tower to the lowest sewer rot, have come to fight for their chance to attain or regain the painful miracle of mortal life. All of them desperate for their passage, maddened by the gamble. He looked up to where the black stone pagoda of the Big Oni was just visible from the angle below. He said, we could try to fight our way through, but the rest, our survival will be unlikely though. Even if by some miracle we were to live, by the time we forced our way through the streets, the days of the dead will likely have passed. Kiba said, Cleopatra hated to admit that she was stumped, with no immediate solution to breaking through this obstacle to reach the tower. It was then that Son Goku rose his hand and pointed to the sky. Look there. The group followed the direction of his gaze to see a black aircraft descending from the arch. It was moving fast, blasting the flying beast out its way with explosives, explosives and missile bullets as it shot down to the ground level. Cleopatra and the others backed away their bikes to give the domed saucer with the front welded to resemble the demon face of an oni space to land on the street, blowing up dust and debris. The landing caught the attention of a band of werewolves and goblins nearby, who figured they might fare better if they could hijack this ship, and soon others were noticing the same, and like a current, the demon horde was rushing in from the surrounding streets. Without a second to lose, the ship's guns emerged from their compartments at various spots across it, and bullets began to rain in a smoky onslaught against all those foolish enough to get within range. Cleopatra watched as the demons were brought down, one after the other in bloody succession, before the front of the ship, the demon's face, which made the doors open by the lowering of the fanged jaws, mechanically to the ground. A moment later, a blue-armored figure with a mask like the ones which had been placed upon the three stepped down the ramp and called to Cleopatra and the others to board the ship. He works for the big Oni. We can't trust him. Kiba spoke through gritted teeth, and it was Mamushi who said, already in stride, we don't have to trust him. 
but we do need to get up to that tower or else we'll be stuck here. It could be a trap, the fox said, and Cleopatra said as she followed Mamushi's lead to the ship. Most likely. She and Mamushi walked ahead and Son Goku followed, trailed by a reluctant Kira, who could hardly bear the thought of stepping back into the big Oni's palace tower after spending thousands of years bound to his mask. But the verdict was in, trap or not, this was their surest and quickest way up there, be it a miracle, luck, or a potential sabotage. They all boarded the ship, where there were two black-clad henchmen of the big Oni sitting at the flying seats. They rose the ship from the ground as the demon horde was rushing in. Once enough of them had massed to overwhelm the damage of the ship's bullets. They flew into the air and Cleopatra looked out the windshield at the full scope of the horde. The entire city gathered like maggots at a giant caucus, fighting their way as they fall up the stairways of the arch before being beat down by the soldiers of the upper class. The ship flew over the still dark and twisted, but opulent and decadent mansions and palaces atop the arch. The demons of the archers were the commanders of the wealth, manifested by the trading and selling of stolen and captured souls. They turned their nose up at the violence of their subjects, without any real care for their own part to play in the misery which drove them to such rage and desperation to reach their upper levels. Cleopatra and the others were brought in the ship to the entrance of the Oni's multi-storied pagoda tower, fashioned with black gargoyles and jade-eyed dragons. The tower was enveloped the tower was enveloped by shadow and heaviness which was felt as Cleopatra stepped from the aircraft on the walkway leading to the tower's entrance. There were many demons of ancient and foul names who had congregated at this palace, each with their own sick and twisted ploys to attain the star swords so they might live as mortals in the world of the living. Many of them carried on palin kings and arriving in skeleton horse chariots, looking upon Cleopatra and the others with slitted eyes covered by dark veils and all sorts of twisting and dark attire. Their language was a collection of inaudible hisses and clicks, Harsh words of an imperial dialect taught by priests in the schools of Cleopatra's past sugar flow. Each of them was nobility in the city, high-ranking lords of the shadow pit, emissaries of the ancient sickness, deliverers of plague, twisters of minds, liars to the core, murderers, and cheats to the bone. They'd arrived to the big Oni's tower with each of their own champions in tow, spirits who, like the three had been, were bound to the subjugation of their master's will and gambling obsessions. These masters had arrived at this tower like rich men to the racetrack, as slave masters to the Mandingo ring, emperors to the gladiator arena. They slithered with anticipation for the complete for the competition, hopeful that their own champion would win and that they would be able to claim the ancient weapons and proceed through the portal to the world of the living to wreak what havoc they pleased there. At Cleopatra's arrival, another minion of the big Oni stepped outside to greet them, and they were led into the tower, through dark halls, to a room where they were told to wait for the next word. Mamushi, Kiba, and Son Goku were on edge, remembering the eons spent deep within the bondage of their own subconsciousness. As their bodies were used to inflict their skills and magics onto a lost souls in the underworld, they sat stiffly, not wanting to hold up. I'm going to reread that part, okay? 
Mamushi, Kiba, and Son Goku were on edge, remembering the eons spent deep within the bondage of their own subconsciousnesses as their bodies were used to inflict their skills and magics onto other lost souls in the underworld. They sat stiffly, not wanting to touch anything. Cleopatra looked then at Mamushi. She sat with her eyes closed, humming deep and long chants to herself. Cleopatra looked down at the warrior nun's sword, which she remembered from the past life was called Sarukipa. The sword was enchanted, passed down through lineages of loyal and honor-bound warriors before it made its hands into that of a woman. Before it made it into the hands of this woman. The mythos was that it was to be... Re I'm sorry, y'all. Okay. Gonna bring it back. The sword was enchanted, passed down through lineages of loyal and honor-bound warriors before it made it into the hands of this woman. The mythos was that it was to remain sheathed at all times, except when most necessary, for when it was drawn, it had to take a life, and if the blood debt was not paid for its awakening from the sheath, then by some stroke of fate, the wielder's own loved one would inevitably fall by the very blade. Mamushi's prayers were interrupted by the opening of the room's bamboo door, and the four of them were instructed then to follow the tower's masked minions through the halls. All the way to a wide and open chamber, a dark and shadowy throne room where a council of slit-eyed demons of various skin tones and snarling, hard-featured and fanged faces sat around an open floor where up ahead, at center, was a blue-skinned demon with horns protruding from his forehead, with fangs curving longer than all the others. His eyes glowed like fire, and he wore robes of ink black. There were veiled women fanning him diligently before he swished them away with a flick of his broad and clawed hands. He was big-bodied, broad-shouldered, and thick-necked, with one hand pressed against his knee as he waited for Cleopatra and the others to make it to close enough to his throne before they were stopped. The big Oni made a low sound in his throat, and by some strange force still lingering over their souls, the three warriors bowed down, prostrating in unison, though each of them grimaced as if they were straining against the big Oni's magic. Cleopatra remained standing, however, and when the minions moved to force her submission, she shot them a look, fierce and subtle, and they recognized the protection of Jah Most High upon her form. They would not touch her without consent, for risk of bursting into blue flame. She looked this demon warlord in his fire orange eyes, which narrowed at the sight of her Mino mantles. He had not forgotten the sting of Omina's lightning, and he wondered if this woman in red possessed the same powers. He appraised her, still using his willpower to force the three warriors into prostration. It is customary to bow before the lord of a house, Big Oni said, and Cleopatra replied, I am Minu. I bow to no one but God, and the elders to whom my respect is earned. A shudder passed through the demon council, hissing at the boldness of her words, but they saw the glint of her crisp of her crimson dagger at her hip and the shine of her gold jewelry. They would respect this guest as with their master. The big Oni said then, You carry the face of the Kandakes. 
He gestured to the three warriors with their palms and foreheads pressed to the ground by the heaviness of his shadow magic. And yet, you come with these insolent servants of mine, ancient enemies of your past life, he said. And Cleopatra said, enemies of the past, allies of the present. She projected her voice with intention toward Mamushi, Kiba, and Son Goku. Rise up. At the utterance, each of them gasped at the weight of the Oni's magic lifted from them, like pressure bursting through a torn seal. There was a gust of wind which flickered the candle flames and disrupted the rise of incense at the holders around the room. The big Oni's caught gasped, though his eyes only narrowed at the force of Cleopatra's voice, overriding the will of his own spells in his own house. He knew. He would not subdue this woman by any force or violence of his own hand. He would have to evoke trickery and manipulation. He clapped his hands twice. And at once the doors to the chamber were opened. And through them stepped another woman. Dressed head to toe in veiled black lace. She walked forward. Carrying a gilded silver case about a foot and a half across. She passed Cleopatra and the others and bowed steeply as she handed her master the case, which he took from her and dismissed her to walk out the room, shuffling backwards so as not to turn her back on him. It was only when the doors were shut that the Oni looked down from his raised dais and turned the case to Cleopatra. He opened it, and the necks of all his court crooned to see the mystical keys to passage, curved, handled, and silver etched with intricate designs and laid with brilliant crystals, diamonds, and stones were the coveted handles of the star swords of Princess Nikonatkin. Right there in front of her, even Cleopatra could not help the thought that perhaps she could destroy this whole tower and simply take the swords. Her sense told her better, though, and she dismissed that folly which had belonged to her primary lives. Her mind was ancient now and was much wiser, more patient. She looked at the big Oni and raised her brow. Are you offering them to me? She asked. And the big Oni closed the case and clasped the lock shut before, clasped the lock shut before shrugging. I could be. I am a pillar of business in this wonderful disaster of a city. A destroyer and consumer of souls, yes. But a breaker of my word? No. It is why I was entrusted by fate to hold the swords, though I was given no bounds to how I might hoard or part with them. But since you are here, and you have brought treasures, he glanced at the three, quite precious to me, I will offer you a deal. Leave my servants here, within my rightful ownership, and the swords are yours, he said, and the three shifted with a sudden nervousness and even Kiba's usual smugness was replaced by a hard line pleading expression. You would give me the swords just like that? No interference with my crossing through the portal or anything, she asked. And Mamushi touched her fingers to her armor above where her heart was. Kondake. Cleopatra ignored them all, though keeping her eyes focused on the big Oni, who nodded with a grunt of affirmation. Hmm. Not only would I not interfere, 
but I would personally see to it that you pass safely through. Cleopatra considered this demon's offer, and perhaps in her lives past, she may have taken the deal. But her senses beckoned her to consider. What fate were these three warriors so connected to? What power was so intrinsic that the big Oni would trade them for instruments of resurrection? Cleopatra looked at her allies, once her enemies, who'd killed her past life, Shanak Dakito, for the very swords which were now being used to bargain for their slavery to the big Oni. But there was something about the ease he proposed in this space as heavy as a mountain with darkness that sent a tingle up her spine. She knew well that no triumph worth winning was to be earned with tainted and immoral ease. He thought to make Cleopatra into a cheat, compromise her spirit so he might gain some hold over her at the last second. She stood with her head held high, for even demons as big and rough as the big Oni, with their reign supreme over dimensions such as Nazdurel, still had their limits when they challenged the sense God gave all true children of his light. I was told there would be a competition for the star swords. I've not trained all this time just to miss out on it, Cleopatra said, to the shock expression of the three at her sides. The only growled his displeasure but could not dispute. If you wish to die for petty honor and misplace loyalty to these rats, then so be it, he said sliding the case with the sword hilts into the back folds of his robes, into the black folds of his robes. The competition will begin at midnight and will commence before or until the last second of the last day of the dead, depending on when the victor stands supreme over all other challenges. You may have thought that horde beneath us was a threat, but they are maggots and flies compared to the legion which has journeyed from all the corners of this shadow realm for the chance to taste the sweetness of a soul's breath in true sunlight and not disintegrate into flame. They are all as hungry, as motivated, and as tied by destiny to the swords as any of you. The big Oni dismissed them with his ring in hand, and Cleopatra and the others were led from the throne room as they walked down the hall, Cleopatra heard Mamushi say, Thank you for honoring us. Cleopatra turned her head and said, I was not honoring you, Mamushi. I was honoring myself. I haven't come this far just to be trapped in this hell by such a foolish mistake as a betrayal. No, Mamushi said. No, I guess you wouldn't. Not after everything. Cleopatra drew a deep breath at the memory of the everything which Mamushi spoke of, especially not after everything.